0: Can I ask you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12 and I'd like to read to you a little paragraph in Romans 12 verses 9 to 13 and this evening we'll consider verse 13 but let's read Romans 12 and verses 9 to 13 let's hear God's word love must be sincere hate what is evil cling to what is good Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So reads the, the word of God. Now, when I first knew that I was going to be preaching on this verse, I did wonder what can possibly be said about hospitality in the strange days in which we're living, because we're not allowed into one another's homes. We're not allowed to invite people around for meals. We're not allowed to take anyone out for a meal. We're just not allowed to associate with one another in that close way that we are so used to doing. So I wondered what what can we really say from this verse. But the more I thought about that, the more I realised that this is exactly what we need to be thinking about. The reason is because this chapter in Romans is absolutely vital for us right now because it's a chapter where every single verse is teaching us what it means to live as a Christian and particularly what it means to live as a Christian church together and this last year has been a time when many people have described it like this that someone has pressed the reset button you know about reset buttons It's only a sort of last resort that you would ever press it. But it takes everything back to its factory settings on devices. Everything disappears. You lose everything. But then you can perhaps start again. And it's a little bit like that for us, isn't it? A bit like that for the church. Very much as the reset button has been pressed for church. So that everything has been taken away from us. Everything that we were used to doing, everything that we were so familiar with, the regular routines, the meetings that we used to have during the week, everything's gone. And for a long time, even this service went as well. We had to find different ways of doing things. And by God's grace and mercy, we're able to do that. But it's not the same. And even now it's not the same. Everything has been taken away. But when everything is taken away, it does enable you to think very carefully about how to put things back again. Which things perhaps were absolutely necessary, which things weren't, and how we ought to go about things. That's why I'm preaching through Romans 12 on Sunday evenings, because this is the building blocks of the church this is how Christians must live and there's massive challenges here in these verses because we have to step back and say well is that how we were living before the pandemic were we really doing this were we doing it in such a way that we have described in this chapter in view of God's mercies to us in saving us Were we really living out our Christian lives with renewed minds? Were we really living as the body of Christ and functioning with every member doing its part, belonging to all the others? There are massive challenges in this chapter, aren't there? And even when we come to a verse like this, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. There's huge challenges for us and what i want to show you is that even during a pandemic it is possible to obey this voice it is possible to do what we are told here to share with god's people who are in need and to practice hospitality it's going to look very different than it would do in non-pandemic days but we can still do it but more than that we can think well when we do start building again, what should it look like? So let's plunge into Romans 12 and verse 13. The Apostle Paul has just told us in verse 12 that we must be patient in affliction. He accepts and he recognizes that we will all go through times of trouble and affliction, we'll all go through tribulations. And those tribulations are many and varied. And he's told us how to approach those times. He's told us how to prepare for them and how to get through them. We must be patient. We must persevere. Most of all, we must hold on to the hope that we have. And we must pray constantly. But the next thing that he does in verse 13 is to remind us that other Christians also have troubles. We are not alone. All believers will go through times of tribulation and affliction. And we need to remember that. It's so easy for us to be so taken up with our own circumstances, especially when we're going through difficulties, that we can forget that other people are also going through times of trouble. And so he ends this lovely paragraph on loving our brothers and sisters. Because that's what it is. It's a paragraph. It's beautifully put together in my Bible. Verse 9 to verse 13 is one paragraph. And so it should be. It begins with love. And the whole paragraph is about what it means to truly love one another in the brotherhood and sisterhood. So what he does is he says, look, in this paragraph... We are to love one another. And he ends it with a very practical verse that says we must share with God's people when they're in need and we are to practice hospitality. So there's two things. There's a pair of commands in these in this verse. First of all, share with God's people who are in need and then practice hospitality. These two are very closely related, of course. When he says share with God's people we might think that he simply means give people what they need but that's not actually at the heart of what he is saying. It includes that but it means something far deeper than that. It means to have a share in somebody's troubles. It means to take part in their lives of difficulty. You would recognise the word if it was translated fellowship because it's from exactly the same root as our word fellowship. And we know that fellowship means to share with and in someone else's experiences. So we are to fellowship with God's people. We're to share with them in their difficulties. Why are we to do that? Well, he's already told us that we are family, aren't we? We're brothers and sisters. And uh, before we part with a single penny, we need to enter into our brothers and sisters' situation, and in a way make it our own, because we are family, we are a body. Look at what he says in verse 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now we've always got to keep that in our minds. We already share with one another. We already share a family bond. And you know that when someone in your family is suffering, then you are sharing in that pain already. Because your family, before you share anything with them, you're sharing in that situation. And that's really what's being said here. Do you remember when Peter was put in prison in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5? We read that Peter was in prison. So just one person in prison but we find the whole church gathered together in a house in Jerusalem. And whilst Peter is in prison, they're all in the house earnestly praying to God for him. Why? Well because they're brothers and sisters. They're family. And a family member has just been put in prison. And they feel it. So they are sharing with him in that situation. We can raise it to an even higher level of course and remind ourselves that the Lord Jesus Christ shared in our humanity in order to save us. He shared in our humanity. He became one with us. Remember, it actually specifically says that in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. He shared in our humanity. And that is what we are to do. We are to share in the pains and sufferings and difficulties of God's people. God's people, it says there, isn't it? It means holy ones or saints. In fact, saints wouldn't be a bad translation share with the saints but of course the problem with using the word saint is that still for many of us the idea of a saint is some plaster model in some church that is prayed to and bowed down to but of because that is not the bible's understanding of a saint i'm looking at saints this evening because we are saints we are set apart for god the word saint means a holy one. And a holy person is someone who's been set apart for God. And so when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, he actually began by uh, saying in uh, chapter 1 and verse 9, that it's uh, verse 7, it's to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Called to be saints. So that's who God's people are they are set apart to be holy and we have to be holy in practice as well as in principle so we are to share with God's people who are in need and then he tells us that we are to practice hospitality, they say that practice makes perfect doesn't it but practice here means to pursue it it means to press on to seek eagerly after to look out for opportunities to show hospitality You know, sometimes it can be very grudging, can't it? We all know as children that when we were told by our parents that Mr and Mrs So-and-so are coming to dinner tonight, we were trying to find ways where we could possibly be out of the house. We didn't look forward to the opportunity. We didn't want anybody coming, especially not that couple. But of course, that's not the approach, is it? We're told by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9 that we are to offer hospitality without grumbling. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And he's just told us to love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So we're not to do this grudgingly. We're actually to want to practice it in the sense of pursuing it, wanting to do it, looking for ways of showing hospitality. What is hospitality? Well, we've heard a lot about the hospitality industry, haven't we? And, and they, quite understandably, have been very upset that their whole industry has been shut down over the last year, and they've not been able to open up. Restaurants and pubs and hotels and so on, and we call all of that the hospitality industry. And we have made an industry of hospitality in our world, in the Western world, because it's something that we pay for and it's something that other people provide for us. But that is not what is being mentioned here. Hospitality in New Testament terms means what the word means. The word means love of strangers it means opening up your heart and your home to those who are in need the word hospitality or hospitable only comes in five places in the new testament it comes here in romans it comes also in timothy and titus where we're told that the elders of the church are particularly to be hospitable. It's one of the things that is expected of them. It's one of the evidence of, of, of Christian maturity that they will be hospitable. They'll have an open heart uh, and they'll share with those who are in need. We also read about it in that verse in 1 Peter I just mentioned where we're to offer it without grumbling. And then there's another place where it's mentioned which is quite fascinating. It's Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, We read these intriguing words. Verse 2, Hebrews 13, verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers. Now that's exactly the same word. It could be translated, do not forget to be hospitable. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. That's an intriguing verse, isn't it? Don't forget to show hospitality because, who knows, you might end up showing giving hospitality to an angel. Some people have, so Hebrews says. So these are the verses, aren't they, that encourage us to show this love for people who are in need. Why was it necessary? Well, in the New Testament it was necessary because they were travelling preachers. And those travelling preachers needed a bed for the night and food to eat. When Jesus sent out his apostles, he sent them out two by two. And he told them to rely on the hospitality of the people to whom they were going. They weren't to take a bag with them. They weren't to take food with them. They were to rely on people's kindness and generosity. Paul himself was a travelling preacher. And John mentions them in his second and third letters. What about today? Well, there are still travelling preachers, aren't there? and churches sometimes talk about offering hospitality to a visiting preacher and and that is necessary but that is only part of what is being mentioned here even in an affluent country like ours there is a need for practical demonstrations of Christian brotherly love so how would we define being hospitable is it just offering someone a meal Or offering them a bed for the night. No, it's more than that. I would define it like this. Being hospitable means having an open heart, an open hand, and an open home. So how does that work out in practice? Let's look at this verse, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. We've looked at what the words mean, but what does it actually mean in practice? Well, the first thing to recognise from the verse is that Christians are often in need. Christians are often in need. Surely that's where we've got to begin. Share with God's people who are in need. Christians are often in need. Never assume that your brothers and sisters have everything that they need. Never assume that. They might look as though they do, but looks can be deceptive can't they needs are many and needs are varied and they come and go in our lives don't they, there are times in our lives where we are very needy there are other times when we have enough and to spare and there are times of deep need other times of relative ease and we need different things don't forget Jesus once needed a donkey someone had one and lent it to him people needed healing and Jesus healed them the poor need money when Judas left the upper room on the the Passover night Thursday before Good Friday everybody assumed that he was going off to give some money to the poor because he was the one who looked after the money bag the poor need money Jesus said that the sick need a doctor, and he also said that dirty feet need washing. So there are all sorts of different needs, aren't there? How do you know that your brothers and sisters are in need? The only way that you will know that is by knowing them and their particular circumstances. That's the only way that you're going to get to know of the needs of your brothers and sisters. It's only by knowing their particular circumstances, only by developing such close friendships that these things become apparent and can be talked about. It's only by being willing and confident to talk to others about your needs that they may be known. And a church needs to be the place where people know one another that well. You may not be able to know everybody in the church, but you can know quite a few, can't you? And you can develop close friendships with those, and you will soon discover what the needs of your brothers and sisters are, just by talking to them, getting to know them, asking them how things are going. And as Christians in the church, we need to develop that sort of concern for one another. Because Christians are often in need. And those needs are not always financial. If we live in a world where we think money can solve everything, throw some money at something, it'll all be sorted. You know, often that isn't the need. Sometimes the need is simply to have someone to talk to. Or perhaps someone to share something with. So Christians are often in need. The second thing that this verse teaches us is that love is sharing with Christians in need. Love means sharing with Christians who are in need. When we share in the needs of others in this way, we have real fellowship with them. And and then we move on to be able to share what we have with them. So, there are some examples in the New Testament of people who did this. First of all, the lovely letter to the Philippians, which is a very warm hearted letter, isn't it? But listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs isn't that lovely whom you sent to take care of my needs Paul is in prison and the church in Philippi heard that he was in prison and you know it doesn't take someone with great intelligence to realise that someone in prison needs help So what did they decide to do? Send him a bit of money in the post? No, of course they didn't. He needed more than that. He needed someone to encourage him, to do things for him. You know, those in prison, we mustn't think of the prisons like they are for us. He could have visitors who could go in and, and do things for him, perhaps prepare food for him. We know that Paul had quite poor eyesight. So maybe Epaphroditus was someone who could write things for him or help him in practical ways but here's a church in philippi saying paul needs some help Ah, here's epaphroditus can't really spare him he's a really good brother he's a great worker in the church but you know let's send him so they sent him all the way to rome and he looked after paul's needs and paul sends him back because he knows that the philippians need him too The Philippian church did send Paul money because they knew that he needed money. And on other occasions, Philippians 4 verse 16, listen to this. Uh, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So along with Epaphroditus, they sent some money. And and they'd collected this. Now, this Paul can do with this. Let's send him some money. And they met his needs. Not only then, but time and again when they heard that he was in need. They sent money to him. The church in the book of Acts were well known for it, weren't they? In the very early years of the church, Acts chapter 2 and verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. That's a wonderful picture, isn't it? of no one being in need because people were sharing together with the things that they had. Now, we need to be careful here because there are some people who think, oh, right, so everybody sold everything and they shared everything together. Does that sound a little bit like communism? No, it isn't. Christian fellowship and hospitality is millions of miles away from communism. Communism is a law whereby people are not allowed to own anything personally. No one has personal possessions. Everyone must share everything in common. It was a 20th century experiment, fundamentally, and it failed miserably, as 1989 showed, when the Berlin Wall came down and communist countries collapsed. And communism was seen in all its horror for what it actually does create. No, Christian hospitality is not communism. And even in the book of Acts, that is not what they did. Because we have to read chapter 4 of Acts and we discover exactly what they did. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Now listen to this. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. Verse 34. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. You see, that's not communism. That is what we call stewardship, because these people were being very careful with what they owned. They were very careful about their private belongings. They made sure that if there was anyone in need, that they met that need. And if it meant selling something that they had in order to meet that need, well, they were willing to do that. And so that is the sort of hospitality and caring and sharing in love that is the great mark of the Christian church. Love is the theme of the paragraph. And what it means for us practically is this, that as Christians we're not asked to give up all of our possessions. I have a friend and when he became a a Christian, he felt that he needed to sell everything. And even his house. And he felt that being a Christian meant he should sell everything that he got and give everything away. He really felt that that was what the Bible was telling him to do. And his pastor had to sit him down and explain this point to him. No, it's not like that. You have to have personal possessions but not treat them as if they are exclusively yours. You treat them as if they are gifts from God for you to use and if other people need then you are to share them. That is careful stewardship. We regard everything that we have not as our own private possessions but as belonging to all believers. And we're careful about how we use what we have for the good of everyone so that there are no needy people among us. That is what a church should be, isn't it? We should look to the needs of the church. Sometimes it's easier for us to see the needs of people abroad than it is to see the needs of people at church. Another friend said that he remember sitting in church when he was a young person and there was an appeal because these children in Africa needed bicycles and there was a great collection so that money could be sent for children in Africa to have bicycles and he knew that one of his friends didn't have a bicycle where was the need there? It's sometimes easier to meet needs abroad from people that we don't know than to recognize the needs that are very much amongst us so here's the challenge isn't it? Do you know the needs of those who are with you in the church? Do they know your needs? Do you have that sort of relationship with them so that you can share in their neediness? Is that part of your fellowship in the church? And we need to get to know people in that way. And Very often the need is not financial. We immediately think that, and it may be, but it's not necessarily that, is it? Notice in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, that we're to share with the saints. We're specifically told, share with God's people. We are not to share with everyone. Primarily, we are to share with other Christians within the church. Now, there is a world of need, of course there is, and Christians must be wise and good stewards. Do you give to every charity that asks you to give? Do you give to every beggar in the street? Do you give to every homeless person who holds out a hand or sits by the side of a robe with a blanket and a dog? When there's an appeal, do you immediately write the cheque and send it off or pay online or whatever? When there's an earthquake, are you immediately going to send money? Now, it's not wrong to do that. But we need to be careful. The Bible says that our first responsibility is to God's people. So when we hear of a a natural disaster, an earthquake, a typhoon or so on, we immediately start to think as Christians, what about the Christians there? What about the church there? And our instinct is to try to get money and help to the Christians in that country. And we will look for Christian missions and try to help to get money that way. We know very well that very often money that is given to charity gets stuck in a system. But we also know that Christians are very good at getting money and goods and needs and, and uh, what is needed to the people who really need it. So we need to be very good stewards. and I mean, I mustn't feel that we've got to give to everybody. You know, sometimes people in the world throw at us this idea that Christians have got to be generous Christians have got to be giving you know, you're a Christian so you've got to help me Well, actually we don't have to help you if we can we will but we don't have to the Bible tells us that primarily we are to share with God's people and our priority must be to give to believers and we need to be good stewards of what we have share with God's people we can overflow in love but we are to uh, show, to do good to everyone, but especially to those who have the household of God. So, love means sharing with Christians in need. And then, finally, love means having an open hand, an open heart, and an open home. We are to be hospitable. Practice hospitality. Where does this begin? Where does hospitality begin? This is where I say, you know, initially you look at a verse like this and you say, well, we can't do that at the moment. We're not allowed to have people round for meals at the moment, so we can't do it. Sorry, can't practice hospitality. Yes, you can. Because you need to realize where hospitality begins. It begins in the heart. If your heart is open to the needs of others, you will find a way. If your heart is closed, you won't be giving hospitality anyway you need to have an open heart first, you need to be willing, you need to even desire to help out you need to pursue it, to press on to it, you need to look for opportunities to be hospitable your heart needs to be open first and then your hand needs to be open open your hand and give not just offering a bed or a meal it can be maybe a coffee with someone. It may be a lift in the car. It may be uh, the lend of your mower or something from your toolbox. Whatever you have. If some other Christian in your fellowship needs it, don't hold on to it as if it's your private possession. I can't really lend that to them because they might spoil it. Yeah, well, they might spoil it, but they're brothers and sisters. What do you have that you didn't first receive anyway? and then not only is it having an open heart that leads to an open hand that should then lead to an open home and all of us have different opportunities in this don't we when we're young we don't have a home and uh, and perhaps even when we're starting out in life we have very little ourselves and when we have families our limitations are there we, we can't perhaps offer hospitality and have a, as open a home as perhaps we would like but then as life goes on And perhaps as we gain more and life becomes quieter, we have more opportunities. And the home can be open. Abraham is a great example. And that's why I read it to you in Genesis chapter 18. And this is where I really want to to finish. Abraham had an open heart. He was sitting in the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Why would he be doing that? Why would he be sitting in the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day? He was looking. He was waiting for an opportunity. A hot day. Maybe someone's going to be coming by. I'm going to be looking out just in case they are. And if they are, I'm going to invite them to come over. He had an open heart. He was on the lookout for an opportunity to share then he had an open hand didn't he he invited them to come lovely words lovely words verse 3 if i have found favor in your eyes my lord do not pass your servant by let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree he starts very simply doesn't he let's get you some water come and have a rest in the shade and then it goes on doesn't it oh i'll give you something to eat as well And he invited them to come and share what he had. But then he opened his home completely to them. Gave them shade, gave them a meal and a chat. And then at the end of the conversation, in verse 16, he even walked with them along the way. He didn't want them just to go off on their own. I'll walk a little way with you. That's hospitality. That's hospitality. And what a reward he got as a result of that hospitality. Why should we offer hospitality? First of all, because you are doing it for Jesus. You're not doing it for the other person, primarily. They will benefit from it, but you're not actually doing it for them. Remember what the Lord Jesus said in his parable? Matthew 25, verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Brothers and sisters, every time you do something for another Christian but doing it for Jesus doing it for him what other motivation do you need than that there are more secondly unusual blessings often follow the giving of hospitality I'm sure if we were to share together some of the stories that we have of people who we have been able to help over the years people who have come into our homes perhaps People who we've met and who we've been able to help along the way a little bit. There are incredible things that can happen. There are amazing blessings that can come simply by opening your heart to somebody and your hand. Some people have even entertained angels unawares. Abraham did, didn't he? And then you will be rewarded in glory for everything that you do here on earth for the Lord's people. Matthew 25 verse 34 then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat and so on, you will be rewarded in glory everything you do for another Christian you do it for Jesus unusual blessings often follow The giving of hospitality and sharing in others' needs. But you will be rewarded in glory. We all have opportunities to show hospitality. Even during this pandemic, there are opportunities. Look out for them. They're harder and they require ingenuity and they require us to be deliberately on the lookout. But ask yourself the question, have you benefited from somebody's care and love and practical help over this last year? Has another Christian helped you in some way? I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. So we can help others as well, can't you? We all have opportunity to show hospitality. The more you have, the more responsibility you have. The more opportunities you have and the more blessing you will receive. Because love must be practical, mustn't it? It must be practical. Well, may God grant us the opportunities to rebuild the church in such a way. I'd like to end by reading a a newer hymn. It's from the supplementary hymn book that we have. Number 60 in the very end of our supplement. Let love be found among us, a love from God alone, the hallmark of the children whom God delights to own. We claim that God has called us, no idle boast or fraud, if love directs our actions and proves we know the Lord. The reason God has loved us is simply sovereign choice. Our love is but an echo to his resounding voice. For God is love and showed it by giving us his Son, through him our past is pardoned, a new life has begun. How deeply God has loved us, accepting us as friends. So let us show each other this love which never ends. For though we cannot find him with sight or touch or sound, yet God himself is present where love is truly found. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we want to thank you this evening for every believer who has helped us along our Christian way. We thank you for those that have helped us in so many practical ways, sharing in our times of need, opening their hearts and their hands and their homes to us. We thank you for all that we have experienced of your love through them. And we thank you that there is a reward in heaven, for all of these acts of kindness and love. We pray now that as we depart and go to our homes that you would bless us. We pray that the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit would rest and abide with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen.